Hi, this is Spider-Man, and I'd love to stick around and listen to amazing spider talk, but Madam Web just told me Doc Ock is about to kidnap Mary Jane Watson, and well, a spider's gotta do what a spider's gotta do. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. In Uh, a major event that has a very uh, inconsistent name. 
Uh, that's where we are. Um, but I, I will say, despite the fact that we don't know what the call, the story that's going to be coming out in a couple months uh, involving Spider-Man and clones and Miles Warren and all that, um, this was a pretty decent setup chapter. I mean, I feel like a lot of pieces were being put into place. Um, I'm I'm intrigued by what's about to come. Um, but the same token, there's some stuff here that we're kind of like, a little head scratching, right? Yeah, absolutely. If I had hair, I would be scratching it or twirling it or whatever. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. You know, like the last time we really liked an issue of Amazing Spider-Man, it was that, like, uh, the penultimate Zodiac story. And the minute I finished reading it, I was like, this was a Spider-Man story. Like, I can identify a Spider-Man story when I read it. Like, this was good. And... It's funny, the minute I finished this one, I was like, this is a pretty good Spider-Man story. And I went online, and everybody else was echoing that sentiment. So there's something in the water, you know, like, people can identify. It's not just us, you know, and our reads on the character. I think a lot of our listeners are along the same, whether we've coached them to that or or not. But, like, there, there's a certain sense I get when I read one of these stories, and I'm like, okay, they got it in this issue. Is that, is that sounding right? Yeah, no, it does. I mean, like, I can't put my finger exactly on what that that fine line is, um, but I know it when I see it. And and this was a case where I saw it. This this felt like a Spider-Man story, and 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 to a greater extent, it felt like a Spider-Man story written by Dan Slott a few years ago when I felt that he wrote more consistent Spider-Man stories for lack of a better, better phrase. Right. I mean like this, this, you know, like, yes, this is a Spider-Man story, but it does have that special twist of dance slot where, you know, like there's just this kind of sense of dread and when's the shoe going to drop and, and what is he setting up here? Because, you know, I, I think, Dan Slott at his best has very big, bold ideas. Um, and, and, and I feel like he should be praised for that. Um, because a lot of comic book creators are a little gun shy when it comes to that. Um, but at the same token, we should talk a little bit about some of the, the head scratching moments. I mean, let's start with kind of picking up where the last issue, um, left off, which was what happened to Jameson Sr. coughing up blood. I mean, you know, it looked like he was done for. And what exactly happened to him, Dan? Well, apparently he's suffering from a rare genetic disease with no name at all. And and characters who go really far out of the way to avoid giving it a name, uh, which, I mean, red flag number one, uh, your doctor doesn't tell you what you have he just says you have something. Um, I don't know, Mark. You know, this is, this is certainly intriguing, but um, not, not to say that this should have, you know, occupied a significant page count, but there's, there's so much. I mean, certainly it's an, an intri- intriguing cliffhanger from the last issue, and we get this additional wrinkle that, like, I guess it's some disease he suffered from a long time, but it's so brushed aside so quickly in this book, not only by the doctor who won't name it, but everybody who is just, like, not questioning the doctor or, like, asking for a follow-up. They're just like, okay, and then we get this new medical expert, but, like, I I felt like for such a big shocking ending, this was, like, not even predominantly on the mind of any of the characters in this story. 
Yeah, um, definitely true. And, and kind of going beyond that, this, you know, I guess things can still change uh, on the dime. But um, what happened here also kind of rules out there being anything wrong with May. I mean, you know, we had that scene a couple issues ago where, you know, we saw them talking that we heard the coughing kind of off screen. And then we saw May with the with the bloody tissue. And, you know, when when Jameson collapsed last issue, there was almost a sort of, oh, is something infecting the both of them? You know what I mean? Like, is this like some kind of disease? And then it was like, no, no, it's only Jameson. And May is like, oh, I know you've been sick this whole time. You, you, you poor thing. And it's like, oh, OK, so. I guess May is in the clear. I don't know. You know, like. Well, if you go back to the issue, and this is not something that I picked up on. You know, it meant, it meant going back and looking at it. And I had written in my review on the site that it seemed odd that May, you know, had this, also had this hereditary disease, you know, same as Jay. And then I went back and reread that moment and amended my review because, like, it seemed as though they were trying to be cagey in that issue about who had it but it's one of those things where it's like if you're going to be cagey in that way you need to be more obviously cagey about it is that is does that make any sense um i know what you're saying but i i actually i mean in going back and looking at the scene in question from two issues ago i i actually feel with how they resolved it here i thought it was a decent act of sleight of hand i mean you know i guess my only complaint is that you know i feel like they used up one of the arrows in the quiver so to speak and and now taking the heat off of there being something wrong with may you know like like you know if she didn't kind of come out in this issue and say oh you know i you know she was aware that jameson was having problems i think it still could be like wait so is there something wrong with may too but like now that kind of i feel has been, been brushed aside where we're focusing strictly on this unnamed disease in the jameson family and okay and obviously this is going to lead into this wacky crazy doctor with an experimental treatment that no one seems to have a problem with Everybody's like, what is this guy just camping out in the foyer of of this waiting for organs to be needed? Like, who is this person? Like, I don't know. Uh, and then so, you know, like that's that's a big part of it. And, you know, we have the reactions from people. And J. Jonah Jameson seems very adamantly against this person coming in and trying to make a buck off of them with experimental technology only to not to skip too far i had only to in the final scenes of this book completely change his attitude on that um and i i feel conflicted about this because i'm not i, I know that jameson isn't always one to stick to his uh his gun so to speak and, and and he's often one to quickly embrace experimental technologies particularly in defeating spider-man but I didn't really understand why he didn't about face here. I, I didn't feel like there was any kind of seated character change for him within this story that would lead to a natural progression of that of that choice. What, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, it it, it 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 wasn't kind of an earned turnaround. I mean, I guess you know the problem would be like I don't know. Yeah, I, I no, I agree. I, I, I can't. I can't, I don't think I can add anything to that. Um, well, I just found it weird also because when he goes back to this doctor, 
he like acknowledges that they're selling snake oil, but then he still considers trusting them with his father's life. You know, like, and it's like, well, which is it, Jameson? Is it? Do you think it's snake oiled, or do you think it could legitimately help? You know, like, and especially after like Marla's death, you'd think that Jameson, and this might be us asking too much from Jameson, but you'd think that he would learn learned his lesson about dealing with like potential mad scientists. You know, but like, I don't know. Maybe Jameson is just that kind of a character. He'll never learn his lesson. Uh, I think. I think his only like, you know qualification is are you a Smythe? no okay we're good uh, <laughs> right. well, the, the Smythes are, are untrustworthy now all right yeah yeah um now also in this book which was kind of you know i don't know if i don't know if this is a done deal but um you know after kind of some build-up about the man in red we see pretty plainly that it's miles warren the jackal here or is it i guess that's the question well, that's the thing. I mean, it's like a lot of things we complain about with this book. You know, this is build up, build up, build up. And then in a title card, it says that it's the Jackal's Lair and people are addressing him as Miles. But we don't see his face. And to my mind, I'm thinking uh, either this is lazy writing that, like, relies on people, like, being spoiled by the solicits. Um, you know, the average reader reading this is like, oh, I guess it's the jackal. Right. Uh, or it's Dan Slott trying to trick us one more time when that mask finally comes off and it's not Miles Warren or it's not the Miles Warren that we're aware of or who knows? It's Miles Warren. Who could say? But uh, like it just seems so anticlimactic. And I can't yeah. tell you whether it's a f- fault of the book or not. Right. Well, um, do we have a, f- a few minutes for some wild speculation here, Dan? Let's do it. We haven't done any spider speculation in a, in a while here, have we? No, I haven't. And, 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 you know, like I'm just putting a couple pieces together and also, you know, have been reading some other thoughts on this issue and this and the upcoming storyline around the Internet. And, um you know, I, 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 you know, I'm starting to think that, yeah, the surprise here is, is this the Miles Warren that we are familiar with or not? I don't think it's going to be someone else under the mask, like a totally different person. But there, there are some things here going on that lead me to believe we might be playing with alternate worlds and dimensions again, which we know is something that Dan Slott loves to do. Uh, he did a whole storyline about it a few years ago, um, which we loved. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, the, 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 first there were just some things that were said um, that I think need to be kind of or, or you know, be aware of. So, um, you know, the, when the when the person from New You was was talking about this radical new treatment, it was kind of going beyond cloning, um, which you know, and those are the exact words, and and I think that's a key phrase here, because you know, like we 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 all just assume that this is clones again because it's the jackal, it's the clone saga revisited, and and you know, I think that there's this this is probably going to be some variation of cloning, but there's going to be a twist there, um, and I think that that beyond cloning was kind of a tell for that. But you could also uh, you could also read that as like just to play devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also read that as like the literal 
truth because they, further, they go on to further explain that, yes, they're cloning these things, but then they're improving on them. So it is beyond cloning in the measure that we're cloning and then making this a better functioning organ. Um, so that's, sure. how I, that's how I took it. But All I'm right. going to play devil advocate to everything you put forward. Not saying I don't think that you're right, uh, but I want to offer the counter. Well, devil's advocate away. Okay. Um, I'm just going to be like, okay, but you're wrong. No, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for being as gracious to me as I am to you. You bet. All right. Um, so um, then in one scene, we, we had a little interesting bit of um, misidentification here. We had the Miles Warren... Um, speaking to Dr. Connors and both the lizard and Martha Connors responded to him. And then that made me say, Martha Connors is a scientist or a doctor since when? But I will say we have never found out what her job was. She's not a doctor. How do you know that? Because that has never come up before. It has never come up before, but neither has what she actually does as a career come up before either. She's not a doctor. Devil's advocate, Mark. Devil's advocate. I'm just saying. You know where she is a doctor? And um, it's one of the animated series. I think it's the Spectacular Spider-Man animated series. She works at um, not Oscorp. Or is it Oscorp? No, it's not Oscorp. But she works with her husband in the lab. Like they make a point of it. Okay. Uh, you know, i.e. and uh, Spider-Man from another universe. Now let and me then, ask you because I've not watched that show. Does yeah. Martha Connors wear glasses in that show? I don't remember. Because here she's wearing glasses, um, and I don't know if Martha Connors has ever worn glasses before. Well then. That proves everything. <laughs> but also the goofy idea that if you can clone organs to make them perfect, why not fix her eyes? Oh, now you're, now you're just being mean. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. I'm just uh, um, No, she does not wear glasses in the cartoon. Okay. I just looked it up. There's an app for that. <laughs> um, I mean, this could very easily just be Giuseppe, Giuseppe Comicoli reading dialogue of she's a doctor so she therefore she would wear glasses kind of thing you know like that could be an easy mistake you know but but okay so here's here's the final the final bit here dan if you will um so what's the what's the name of the um this experimental tech technology company new you yeah and um you know Back in the late 1980s, I know, like, who was alive then, right? Um, you were probably, you know, a newborn, right? I was a newborn, yeah. Okay. I was, I was a crusty old seven or eight-year-old when this happened. You've always been crusty. Um, and um, Jim Shooter, former Marvel editor-in-chief, uh, I think alongside John Byrne, world's greatest human being. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> People are not going to know what the context of that is. The context of this is John Byrne is wonderful artist, 
horrible human being. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry, friends of John Byrne out there. But they, um, J- Shooter wanted to start an alternative Marvel universe, something that I think was kind of post-Shooter done with the 2099 books and then even further done with the ultimate line. I'd say the ultimate line is like his dream come to reality even more so than what came to reality. Correct. But, and, and, you know, and kind of similar to ultimate, you know, he wanted this universe to be like a separate imprint. Like, you know, it's like, you know, new, you know, characters with new twists, new stories, no connection to the 616 or whatever you want to call it. My favorite you know, thing is he wanted it to operate in real time. Yes. And what was he going to call this company or this imprint, Dan? The New Universe. Yes. Which is, new- I mean, come on, get a marketing team on that one. Yes. New You, New Universe, Alternative Worlds. So here is, you know, now that I've wasted about 10 minutes of people's lives... I think that we are dealing with Miles Warren from the new universe. And I think what the cloak conspiracy is, and I'm putting this is my chip on the table right now. I think that to reanimate these dead characters from 616, they are like harvesting organs and stuff from the new universe to revitalize these people. And that is my prediction. And I think nothing is too far fetched. Uh, So I will give you that. I do want to offer up, though, that this could not only just be a red herring, it could just be Dan Slott being clever about his knowledge of the Marvel Universe and making a one-off joke uh, in New You, and also the literal New You, as in creating a new you. uh, Right, right. That's a good good point, Dan. But tell me... And you're the one who sent me this link. I will, what did you, I will say what, this. What did, you recently, this. What, what did you recently just see on um, former Spider-Man writer Howard Mackey's uh, Facebook page the other day? I, I, I did send you this, and this is why I believe you, Mark, uh, because this was too weird of a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Howard Mackey posted on his Facebook page um, that Marvel, and he showed pictures of it, Marvel had just sent him a hard copy reprint volume that they're releasing into stores in the coming weeks and months of his new universe books from Marvel to get them back out there. Now, I don't know why the hell they would revisit New You if they didn't have something tying in to the New You. Yeah, and I mean, so has, I think- has, has, has anyone even said boo about the New You? I'm starting to rhyme now. Uh, over the last 20 years, <laughs> no, I can't I think of anybody. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think if you didn't know about it, there would be no reason for you to to invested time in learning about it. Other than if you're on like Jim Shooter's like trail of of uh, of interesting editorial choices. Well, there you go, people. So, so I mean, not I would say not like this is not a house on fire of evidence, but 
an interesting uh, It's not a house on fire, but I think there's something smoking in the oven right now. All right, all right. I am very intrigued to see how this plays out. I mean, there's definitely talk about, like, the device we see Electro strapped into. It's not like they have him on a gurney, like, going to give him a new organ or whatever. They have him strapped into this, like, crazy futuristic device that they're going to repower him with. And, I mean, who knows? But, I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you like this, Dan. I think there's more going on with this theory than there was with Normie Osborne being the new Green Goblin. Yeah, right. And we still don't know what the hell that is. Right. No, it's it's Mason McDougal or whatever his name was. Yeah, Mason Banks. I remembered it the minute we finished that show. Okay. Uh, anyway. You know what? Speaking of things that we don't really know anything about at all, uh-huh. uh, Parker Industries in Omaha – or Oklahoma, rather – Decides just to spontaneously combust. Yes. But, you know, putting that aside, it did lead to a pretty fun sequence, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, and it, and it made me really think, like, this issue reminds me most of the first issue of this new volume. We've got new tech, new character relationships, and and a lot of teases. And to me, the highlight of this issue is the spider cycle. Yeah, no, Spider Cycle looked great. I mean, Kamakoli is in his element here. Um, great gadgets. Um, I felt the action was uh, rendered really well. I really was feeling the drama of that. Um, you know, the fact that, like, they're, like, as as Spidey is quipping his way through, they're like, is this guy telling jokes as we're, like, dying here? I mean, like, I, I everything about this scene I thought was great. Like, this is great old school Spidey action with the modern aesthetic and, 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 and sensibilities that the status quo has brought to it. Yeah, the only thing that really, like, uh, took me out of it, mainly because it, it's so much, it's so overdone as a wink and a nod, is the, I guess, like, the, the fan service uh, of him lifting the rubble over his head. Um, Mark, I got to be honest, uh, I'm... I think that this icon has been worn down as far as it can go. Yeah. But, I mean, it is one of the most famous moments in history. So you're probably going to see it a few more billion times. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, like uh, I think about when it's been used that I really enjoyed it. And it's when it's been used with a, with a new twist on it, like in um, the uh, the subway story. The subway story. Yeah, I knew you were going to say rats that. And, and, and the implications of that. And even in Superior, uh, what was it, issue 14 or something, um, where it's him unburying himself from the rubble in the mind. These were all unique ways of, of calling back to that. Um, in a like you could miss it kind of way. Yeah. Uh, here it's just so like it's not even fan service. Like this is like I don't even I don't want to go into like I don't want to speak blue here, but like they're more than servicing the fans here. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of the um, the thirtieth anniversary issue of Spider Man. I think it's three sixty five where like Spider Man is saving. Billy Connors from the lizard and like they just like go right to it and then like well of course it's an anniversary issue of course they're going to do it but it's like so 
so blatant and unoriginal, you know, like yeah. it's just like, let's just let's just put the scene in again. Like, you know, it's not it's not an homage. It's just let's do it again. You know, like, um, is it the but, kind of thing, is it the kind of thing where every artist has to have one? You know, like that was Bagley's and this is Common Coley's. I guess we gotta yeah. gotta get your quota. Yeah. Um. So and 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 kind of the, of course the upshot of this not to keep you know keep moving but you know the upshot of this scene at the plant is you know this one employee is is so sick and and you know Peter you know he's not saying no one dies anymore but he's going to save people any way he can and this is of course how you know the the deal with the devil is brokered with with new you. Um, and, and, and I, and, you know, like, here's the thing. It's like this scene works from a character standpoint, because I think we're at a point now with, you know, with Dan Slott and, and, and his, and his Peter that Peter's sense of guilt, um, I always feels very heightened under Slott, but at least it's consistently been heightened. Does that make sense? Amongst every other attribute of Peter that's been heightened. But yes, I agree with you. It worked for me because, like it or not, this is how he's been written. Yeah, exactly. So it works. Uh, It feels appropriate within this context. I mean, you know, 30, 40 years ago, do I feel that Peter's guilt would allow him to make a really bad deal with an untrustworthy... um, collaborator maybe not i feel like he would be a little more discerning but that's neither here nor there this is like i said it's consistent i mean i I don't even know if it's consistent to dan slot i mean you could probably trace the roots of this back to to one more day you know like why would peter make a deal with mefiso because you know and the way that was always explained was because he feels this extraordinary guilt for anna it's like yeah but he's deal with the devil (laughs) yeah you know i think in in the context of this book i don't necessarily know that i love how dan slot had peter externalize it like express himself or uh you know what we read from peter like it, it definitely laid on the guilt but the action itself i think is even consistent to like young peter parker under different people's pen i mean here's a guy who's dying you know it's not really a rock and a hard place. It's like if you have the means to save this guy, questionable doctors aside, you know, like what other option did he have? Like I think it, it is a classic Peter Parker situation where you can't win. We happen to know more than he does, you know, but um, I don't really see another option for him. You know, there was clearly no other donor there. And right. he had this ability to do this thing. Like, even if these guys, I mean, yes, they were wearing black shirts and red ties. Like, how much more evil could you get? But I think even if they were like, hey, we're AIM, we can save this guy, Peter would probably have said, like, 20 years ago, yeah, let's do it, and I'll deal with the fallout later because it's worth saving this guy's life. So I don't know that I find, yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't agree with that this is, like, an out-of-character uh, move for Peter. Okay, cool. Um, now, um, I don't know if I'm jumping too far here, but you know, the comic ends with a, a beat we've kind of seen a bit. Um, did it? Did it? 
did the the big reveal at the end of this comic do anything for you this time? We've been kind of complaining, not complaining, but critiquing um, the last few times we've seen this, that this beat's been getting played out. Um, what do you think? Um, and of course, I'm referring to the, 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 the sudden look behind the curtain. It's Marla Jameson in front of Jay Jonah. It's, it's the kind of, first of all, I'm a little surprised that he's revealing this to Jay Jonah because it's like, here's a guy who's on the news. Like, I get maybe the plan is to go more public with this, you know, but it seems like a really like sudden way to rush out the knowledge that this is a company that's doing these kind of things. Um, like reanimating the dead, so to speak, or I guess in these characters' minds. But like to me, it was like I had to like question whether or not we had seen her back already or not. Like it's the same thing with Spider Verse, where for 20 issues leading up to the event, every issue had the re- like the introduction of a new alternate universe Spider Man. By the time we got the Spider Verse, I was like already sick of that. Trope, trope and that surprise and i wonder if the same is going to happen here yeah well i mean this has been played out um but at the same token this is kind of the heart of the story that we're about to go into so we're kind of in a catch-22 situation like i mean i, I think we're still going to get more of these because there, are you know there are still some pretty big names out there of people that by all clues and evidence looks like they're going to be revived that we haven't seen yet. So when they appear, it's going to have to be a big deal, but you know, and this is, this, this goes back, you know, like this, this Dan slot sometimes in his effort to play the quote unquote long game, does he sometimes shoot himself with the foot with his narrative because he, he's trying to plant the seed so far in advance, you know, like, like to show that we've been building, we've been building, we've been building, I mean, yeah, like you said, we, we, it's good to be building and to, and to have a game. But, you know, what are we going to be feeling in a few months when it's finally Gwen Stacy and Uncle Ben and, um, you know, Captain Stacy and, you know, Gene DeWolf? Uh, it's, well, it's, Gwen is already back. Oh, when did that happen? Did I miss that? In the free comic book day issue. Oh, okay. But did, who's, who saw Gwen? Nobody saw Gwen. Okay. Although she's um, around somewhere. <laughs> right. I mean, I would just say, like, go back to the, the No One Dies, which, you know, we did a podcast on that recently, Essentials number 17. Like, if you do that devil page spread with all the dead people there, that's all the people that are going to be coming back. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So anyway, yes. So I, 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 I agree with you. We've kind of seen this. We saw this in Spider-Verse. We saw this in The Mystery of the Green Goblin uh, during superior um it's good to build but i think you know if you overbuild <laughs> it kind of lessens the impact when when you really want to bring out the trump card yeah absolutely so mark do you want to put forward any final thoughts on this issue um i, I like i said i mean like and I, and, I, and i don't i don't mean to end on a kind of sour note i, I again i i i'm intrigued I, I, I think there is some potential here. I mean, there's also some potential for things to kind of go off the rails, but um, this, I mean, we've been saying this for a while. When it comes to his events, Dan Slott does a pretty good job usually of opening a chapter. So let's see what the follow-through is. But um, 
I like this for the most part. Um, do you want to say anything before we give a grade, or do you want to just sure, get right yeah. to it? I mean, uh, we haven't mentioned Giuseppe Comancoli much. Um, I don't know that there's much I have to say new about his art. I mean, it's just consistent and... But I will say, we mentioned that we love his transforming vehicles, and again, I think he'd make a great Batman uh, artist, and, and to that point, he did do a Batman Europa story recently. Mark, have you had a chance to check this out at all? I have not. I, I'm not as a, prodi- a prodigious reader of comics as you are, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> when did those cards change? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so I don't know. I want to check that out, but... um. For me, yeah, it sounds. I think it sounds like we're being kind of nitpicky, and maybe we are. But what made this issue good for me is that I thought the characterization was pretty strong, other than maybe that opening scene. Um, and I liked the action sequence, and I thought there was a good moral, you know, choice for Peter here. That whether he's aware of it or not, like it's a it's a classic Parker trope of being caught between two equally bad choices. So, um, you know, that was. That was appropriately Spider-Man-y to me, and, and like you said, I'm, this has got its hooks in me. You know, uh, uh, It could quickly sour that if it turns out to just be Miles Warren under that mask, and the reveal of the man in red was just this dumb title card thing and, and solicit. But yeah, this is, this is a, above what we've been normally getting out of this book, I thought. All right. So what's your grade, Dan? I'm giving this one a B minus. It's 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 pretty good. All right. And I'm gonna go a notch higher than you and say B. All right. Let's talk about our comments and emails from the fine listeners at home. All right, you fine listeners at home. Um, as always, you can email us at amazingspidertalk at gmail.com. You can tweet at us on Twitter where tweets happen and hashtag that okay to print or leave us a voicemail at nine red goblin. We got a pretty threatening voicemail last time out, Dan. So um, hopefully no more threats, right? No, I'd love another call from the red goblin. Uh, okay. Okay. You know, know who says she might call uh, Deb Whitman. Oh, I think my, my call, my call. So, um, you know, be on the lookout, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Are you, are you dating dead Whit- dead Whitman now? I know last time you said you were going to take her back to that restaurant, but I- I'm worried, Mark, that she may have gotten her hooks in you. No, I would, I would never cheat on my wife with dead Whitman. I don't and know. Deb Wh- seems, and dead Whitman. Seems like should- a very you thing to do. <laughs> dead Whitman should know better. Anyway, enough about me and my affairs. Uh, I'm going to read this first comment uh, on uh, via iTunes from Samuel Bear, B-E-H-R. So if I said that wrong, I apologize. Um, titled Exception Podcast to Follow. Okay, five out of five stars. Uh, this is one of the 17 podcasts I listened to. All right. I caught up on this about two months ago, listening to every episode dating back to the Superior Spider Talk show. This is very informative. And remember, if you listen to this podcast on two, times two speed, Dan's laugh is epic. <laughs> there so there you was go. a good one. There was a good one. If you don't listen to this at Devil Speed, go back there. And just double speed that, and get you'll get a sample of what Samuel has been experiencing. You know, I was wondering, because he said he listened to, he caught up on every episode back to the Superior show. That's like 90 episodes. I guess you would need to do that on double speed in order to get caught up. 
Yeah, the way we go on and on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I'm mean, just, that's I'm like d- more than an episode a day. I'm just curious, like, you know, 17 podcasts. I mean, where do you think we fall on that, man? I mean, you know, like, do you think we finally, you know, do you think he likes us more than like better gardening podcasts or um i feel pretty strongly if he finished off 90 episodes in two months i i feel like samuel is listening to us at a, at a regular clip all right so what's our other comment dan actually this is a special one this is from Stephen ian and it's titled a hundredth review. Yes, five out of five. We did it, Mark. We got to a hundred reviews. Only, only after I badgered our years. audience for months. Yes. Does does, does Stephen get a prize or? You know, yes. Stephen, email me your address at amazingspidertalk at gmail dot com, and I will send you a whole stack of comics and maybe some other goodies. All right, Stephen. Congratulations. What does Stephen write, Dan, besides his being the 100th review? Stephen writes, wow, so glad to be the 100th review. I bet he's even happier now, Mark. Yes. Yeah. So I love the podcast, guys. Great work. Keep it up. If you're a Spider-Man fan, there's no other place you want to be than this podcast. These two guys are so passionate about Spidey, and they have great guests that you'll want to hear from if you're a Spider-Man fan. Uh, and I'll add that if you're not a Spider-Man fan, maybe you want to hear from these guests too, so you could direct your hatred at them or something. I I don't know, but you, uh, mean, you mean yeah, you mean maybe a Captain America fan would want to talk to Ron. Uh, listeners at home, uh, Mark just suffered a stroke. We'll, we'll be uh, picking this back up again in a couple months when he is fully recovered. And I'm back. All right, Dan. So, um, Good thing you found that time machine. Yeah, whoosh. All right. Spider news, Dan. Coming at you. Mark, we've got some spectacular spider news about Spider-Man Homecoming. And, uh, you know, I I think this has kind of gotten a lot of concern up on the Internet because we have news that – and this had been kind of rumored before that the tinkerer or the terrible tinkerer rather and the shocker are in Spider-Man Homecoming. And they there we are, go. Yeah, they're going to be played by Bookham Woodbine. Shock, that's Shocker from Fargo Season 2. And um, if you've seen Orange is the New Back, one of the uh, prison guards, Michael Chernis, is playing the terrible tinkerer. Mark, your thoughts on there being three villains in the upcoming Spider-Man Homecoming movie? Yeah, but I, okay. Let's 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 pause a moment here with the like the the Spider-Man three slash Amazing Spider-Man two too many villain talk. Because I mean, first of all, the Tinkerer is the guy who supplies the tech to the Vulture. So I mean, you know, we don't like, know that, but obviously, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's a very tertiary character in terms of Shocker. I mean, I think if they treat Shocker like a big bad. Um, yeah, maybe that could be problematic, but I, I very much see Shocker being used probably the way he's used in Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, just a punching bag. Yeah, so um, or maybe like if you're fans of Spider-Gwen, the Bodega Bandit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I like the idea that he could be a punching bag and then like four movies later be the big bad. I think that would be really excellent. But, or, but also, or, he's a, or he like joins the Sinister Six or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, and if they're going to do – they very, seem very keen on doing a Sinister Six movie. Like everybody just talks about that. So this is how you do it. You may give him the opening credit sequence of Spider-Man beating him up in a bank vault – you know, they tried to do this with the Rhino in Amazing Spider-Man Two, and I think as a sequence that could have worked very well if it was better, you know, handled. You yeah, know? but I, I think this is how you kind of do it. You see these characters in in small scenes, and and I think that's only a benefit to the movie because then it makes it seem like Spider-Man's world is populated by danger, like. In the original Spider-Man series, like by Doctor Octopus, he's so afraid of taking his mask off because of the personal damage it could wreak on his life. But when he's only encountered two villains, one of whom is dead already, like it doesn't really seem that much of a personal stake. But if you populate his world with villains, then yeah, he really should keep his mask on. Yeah, I agree. And 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 you know, for the record too, I mean, like. You mentioned the Rhino sequence in Amazing Spider-Man Two, and I and I and I felt, you know, kind of in isolation that did work. You know, what 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 doesn't work is, and you know, what we saw in Spider-Man Three with Sandman, Goblin, and Venom, and then also in Spider-Man Two with Goblin and Electro is like, you know, this insistence when movies have multiple villains of like, oh, we have to make everything like kind of climax together at one point and you know alliances are formed that make no sense and there's no reason for it outside of just convenience to story and we need uh, a really complicated origin story of how every character is related to everybody else right exactly yeah. so um you know so in this case you know like i said if if tinkerer is just the dude who does tech which you know, kind of like playing off, like going back to our interview with David Michelinie, you know, like a lot of the characters that Michelinie created back in the day, it was kind of a utilitarian view of it. Like, you know, who trains the henchmen? Oh, it's the Taskmaster. And why isn't there an Ant-Man? Let's get a new Ant-Man. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like, you know, who's the guy who, who supplies street level villains with technology? Oh, it's this tinkerer. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a means to an end. It's very pragmatic. I like it. Um, how much would you love it if they just went back to like real simple with future villains in the series? It's like Electro. He was a guy that was struck by lightning. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, that, I mean, Dan, that was, and I would get shouted out at the internet when I would talk about it during, but that was one of my big complaints about Electro and the Mark Webb movies. I'm like, like, he's just a, he's just a dude who got struck by lightning, got these powers and like decided to rob banks. That was Electro. It wasn't so complicated. Like not everyone needs to be this tortured soul. You know what I mean? Like, I love that Sandman just wandered into the wrong place at the wrong time and became the Sandman, and that was perfect. I didn't need yeah. to know anything more about this guy. I mean, I like that Sandman's first, you know big fight with Spider-Man in the comics was predicated on the fact that he wanted a high school diploma. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, but okay. <laughs> well, but no, but it wasn't like you know I was there when your uncle Ben died. I yeah, did no, it for my stupid. daughter. <laughs> I love the idea that a high school diploma could be a MacGuffin for an entire movie. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Anyway, so um, 
Yeah, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not ready to panic yet. Um, you know, I know if, if there's one consistent complaint about the Marvel movies is that, you know, I guess there's a sense that all of the villains are kind of punchlines. Um, but certainly in the case of the Shocker, I think it would be appropriate. Um, so. I hope that's the case. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're hoping that they embrace their greatest flaw as a as a production studio. Well, you know, it's like I can understand a Cap Captain America fan being ticked off like that. Crossbones is being used as um, you know fodder in the first ten minutes of a of a movie, but or or even um, what's his name um, in the, from the second movie. Um, oh, the French guy. I can't remember oh, now. Ba- a Bat Rock, the Leaper. Yes, thank you. But that was uh, awesome, though. Yeah, well, yeah, I, this is true. I, um, I think that that's kind of different because Batrock is, like, inherently a C-list villain. Yes. You know? Like, he's a joke, even though he is one of Cat's biggest villains. But, like, Crossbones is, like, a legit threat and was, like, dispensed with, with almost no – like, I could see someone really getting anticipated to see, cro- uh, you know, Crossbones after how he was handled in the second movie. But <laughs> – Yes. Yeah. But anyway, um, so yeah, that's all I got about that. Anything else you want to say on that, Dan? Nope. I'm excited. I will say that there was news that broke like half an hour before we recorded this. So like half an hour ago, Mark, um, Mm -hmm. and that Zendaya in the film will be playing Mary Jane. And we had previously reported that she would be playing Michelle Gonzalez. And it seems like none of this is really confirmed. Um, and reports on her in the uh, in the movie that the parts of the movies that had been screened had her as an unnamed person wearing kind of like frumpy clothing and and with like frizzy hair. So I mean, if I were a screenwriter and she was going to be MJ, I could see like a face it tiger, you hit the jackpot moment at the end of the movie where you get the classic homecoming like moment where the the frumpy poorly dressed girl transforms into the beautiful you know uh uh supermodel like which is what which is going back to that spectacular spider-man cartoon that you need to watch jan is what they did with gwen stacy for the record right so i think there is a possibility that she is playing um mj which to me is very exciting that they're kind of you know being very proactive about, uh, like, you know, diverse casting, you know, casting a non-redhead as MJ, although certainly perhaps part of her makeover is dyeing her hair red. Who knows? But uh, um, this is exciting to me because it's so different. Um, But I wouldn't get too worked up about it because five minutes ago they said she was Michelle Gonzalez. And so who knows? Who knows anymore? You don't eat my cookies, Peter Parker. (laughs) Um, All right, let's uh, let's go home, Mark, shall we? Yes, let's do it. Let's go homecoming. Homecoming, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for listening to the show. Um, if you want to listen to more episodes of our show, you can find all of our amazing Spider Talk and our rather old Superior Spider Talk podcast. Almost a hundred episodes old. You can find them all on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now YouTube by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do. Please be sure to leave us a review, everybody. We're at 100, but that doesn't mean it has to stop. 200 is within view. Yeah, I mean, my favorite ep- issue of Spider-Man is 300. Let's get 300 reviews. Do it now, everybody. We'll just if ignore every- the 200th review because, because we both don't really like that book. 
No. Um, also, additionally, be sure to check out our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin, if you want to keep up with the adventures of Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen Stacy. And we didn't really mention it on this show, but um, please be sure to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club so you can get all kinds of amazing prizes. On the next episode of the show, I'm going to be giving out uh, part of my commission collection, actually, um, the one of the original copies of our logo, except this one is colored by the man himself, Edgar Delgado, colorist of amazing and spectacular, not spectacular, superior Spider-Man. So uh, if you want a commission from Edgar Delgado, Ron Friends, and Sal Buscema, uh, if you join our club, you'll be entered into that raffle. Man, can I enter the raffle, Dan? Yeah, you certainly can, Mark. All right. Um, well, next week, Dan, we're going to be discussing our next Essentials pick. It's your choice. What are we going to read, Dan? Oh, I'm really excited about this one, Mark, because we're going to be reading Amazing Spider-Man number 248 by Roger Stern and Ron Friends. Also- you mean the, thun- the, the Thunderball story? Yes, we're going to be reading the Thunderball story, but we're also going to be reading the backup book in that one, The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I hope we do save adequate time to talk about Thunderball. Um, where can we find you on the Internet, Dan? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at at SupSpiderTalk and all of my writing on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. What about you, Mark? Um, yeah, you can find me at ChasingASMblog on Twitter. And, of course, you can find my writings at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. I've been reviewing Amazing Spider-Man Civil War 2, and uh, I've... Still, slowly but surely, have had articles about the Spider-Man versus other people's foes. Multiple apologies again for taking three and a half years to get this series out. And I will say, we haven't really covered much of the Civil War Spider-Man story on the show. We're going to do the same thing that we did with the Amazing Grace episodes. When it ends, we're going to cover that mini-series in a single episode. But um, I think... I think uh, reading your review, Mark, uh, we're in agreement here that that's an excellent book you should all be picking up. Definitely. All right, Dan, what kind of improvisational gymnastics are you going to make me do right now? Yeah, well, Mark, you know, appropriately to this show, uh, you know, your Uncle Ben, he's died so many times over the years. But uh, the one thing we've never addressed is, was he an organ donor? Oh, well, you know, it's it's a funny thing. You know, he actually um, was not an organ donor. Um, well, well, he told us he would not never be an organ donor because he felt like that it was like snake oil. It's like, oh, that's, you know, peddling, peddling to the devil. That is um, what, like saving lives with your <laughs> organs. I don't know. He, he was always very paranoid that if he listed himself as an organ donor that, you know, people wouldn't try and save him. But then you got to listen to what happened here. Um, I'm listening. So he, he was, um, you know, he was walking by. Uh, he was he was walking along the docks down by the shore one night. I hope this has nothing to do with Jimmy the Elbow. No, 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 no. This is no. But he he. Okay, so um, you know the docks a little wet. He slipped in and he got eaten by a turtle. That is really is a, that is really yeah. unusual. I know, right? So I mean, this turtle was just going to town on him. I mean, it's. I mean, what a way to go. I mean, I, mean like, I guess if it's in the Hudson River, who knows what kind of radioactive turtles they got in there? Right. So, I mean, he eventually the the medics very eventually fished him out, and you know, like he he was concerned that um 
you know, but we, we, we thought, we, we, now that he was concerned, he was like on, on the verge of death, but we were like, you know, can you save him? Can you save him? And they were like, I don't know. It's going to be tough. And they pulled out his license. Like, oh, great. He's an organ donor. The, the turtle didn't eat his liver and his heart. And we were like, but wait, Uncle Ben was never an or what, 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 what kind of conspiracy is this? And then Uncle Ben rose up and was like, what is happening to me? Oh, with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. Wait, was he just resurrected in the middle of that story? Well, he hadn't died yet. Even though his or most of his major organs were devoured. But not the liver and the heart. And, I guess that is ben, all you need. And Uncle Ben is all heart and liver.